Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. Okay, so the name of Jesus and His mercy and His grace is what this story is all about today. Um, It's about a very good friend of mine and his wife, which is also my friend. Um, yeah, I've, um, I don't want to say my best friend because there's another best friend sitting here and I don't want him to get angry. So one of my best friends and another one there that's looking at me. Sorry, Paul. He's got eight children, so I'm not going to fight with him. Um, and it's a, it's a story of hope. Um, and I hope that this will encourage you the way that it encourages us. That was around. There's a lot of his friends there. Um, at the end, there will be a link to send out, but, um, it's a story that, that will touch you if you open your heart. So I don't want to take the limelight. I'm going to hand it over to Phil and Marley, um, and they can tell the story. And as we go on and as I feel led by the Spirit, I'll ask questions. But I know that your story will just flow. Um, but feel free to, to just share what's on your heart. Um, uh, Marley leaned over to me earlier and said, I'm already emotional. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Uh, we all get emotional um, with a story. So... Please feel free, but start with how did this happen, and, and, uh, we're go- and, and welcome, guys. Okay. Thanks, Harvey. Um, good morning, everyone. Can you hear me clearly? Yes. Okay, sweet. So, um, first of all, we just want to say thanks for the opportunity to be able to share um, about God's goodness in our life. I mean, we've experienced this goodness through many years. Um, I think this one was maybe a little bit more exaggerated and a little bit more highlighted, um, and it's got a different meaning this morning to say it's good to be alive. <laughs> it's good. Definitely has a, has a different connotation. And um, yeah, we just, as from, from my wife and my side, we want to say thank you. Um, and we truly hope, I think that was our prayer this morning as well, that COVID has touched every one of us um, to some extent, whether it's a friend or a family or a colleague. Um, it's, it's, it's affected us not only in our social life, but also, I'm sure, business-wise, financially. Like all of us have, it's, it's a hot topic, okay? And in fact, I think we're probably all over it. Um, I certainly am. <laughs> But um, yeah, so somehow through this, we, we, we went through this journey and, and we experienced something about God that was new for us. And um, I think it's, it's probably a good time to just jump into the facts of things. But um, how, how this all happened was fairly uh, haphazardly, you know, um, because, of, because of my nature, I didn't really give COVID the respect that it, that it needed, okay? So, in fact, there was a pain in my butt. I was like, I was just so irritated about everything this thing is throwing around. The whole world is, you know, up, up in arms about this thing. And um, I kind of got to a point where I said, oh, let me just get COVID and get it over and done with, you know? I just want to, like, get it out of the way and, and so be it. What I didn't know was that I was going to get COVID and pneumonia at the same time. Um, and it was like the end of June this year, obviously midwinter. I went up for a golf tournament in, um, in Clarksdorp. Nothing good happens in Clarksdorp. <laughs> Sorry, I'm off on Clarksdorp. <laughs> so, um, so I picked it up there, came back, did what every 
person probably would do, you know, um, isolated. Um, I knew I was sick, and then my friend let me know that he, he tested positive. So I went on the Monday. Um, I tested. I tested positive. My wife and I uh, kind of spoke about it at home, and she said, listen, I'll move into the spare bedroom. She was so cool. She brought me a bell. <laughs> so she, <laughs> okay, so mom gave her a bell. Who gave me a bell? <laughs> and, um, and it was kind of like, you know, let's just see it through, take some meds, get it over and done with. Um, and come Friday that week, um, Malay said it was about 11 o'clock at night. I was just sitting up in bed and breathing very heavily. And um, she had been taking my, my vitals or my, my sats through the time and my oxygen level just dropped and dropped and dropped. Um, and that's when, on Friday night, she, she gave Javi a call and she said, listen, this is not looking good, so um, we, need to, we need to do something. And she, was, she wasn't really, and obviously, you know, from a safety perspective, didn't want to go through the hospital at 11 o'clock at night by herself. And this is still, I think curfew was 9 o'clock then, if I'm not mistaken. So anyways, Javi came around. Uh, that's why he's, he is also a very, very good friend. Close second. But, um, <laughs> so... <laughs> so, um, and then they popped by, and to be honest, from... This is where things get a little bit blurry for me. So this is the 2nd of July. And um, I just remember getting out at the hospital. And I was a bit, like, I felt drunk. I was like, I was just, the wind was pumping. I, was, I didn't really feel like I was in my right mind. And um, I remember the nurse kind of like grabbed me. He was like, okay, well, yeah, he did it, can't this And um, so, um, so they took me in. They did a bunch of tests. Um, and if I could, if, not that I even thought about it too much, but if I could think about something that I was thinking then, it was, Okay, just be here for the weekend, get some tests done. Maybe they put you on a drip. I've never been in hospital, okay? So, um, well, a, a, apart from like cuts and broken bones and stuff like that, but I've never spent a night in hospital. So I figured what, what damage could it do to be here for the weekend? Um, and then that was Friday night. And then Sunday night or Monday morning, 2 o'clock, uh, they rushed me to ICU to save my life for the first time. So I wasn't aware of this, okay? And... Um, and this is where my story gets a little bit trippy because at no point did I move from this reality into what I will refer to in this conversation as an alternate reality. We've all probably seen Marvel movies. Maybe I've seen too many of them, actually. <laughs> but my, my life kind of splits from this world to a different world during that time. But there was no point that I kind of got to a point where I said, okay, this is now when you're under sedation and this is not reality. And this is, that's reality. Because you know when you're dreaming, you know you're dreaming. You can go like, oh, I need to snap out of this quickly. Or this is great. I don't want to stop dreaming, you know. Um, so I just kind of like went through this one reality. Um, so they called, this is now the Monday. Um, they called Marley in. Um, I'd like to tell her a little bit about what she was experiencing. Um, and then I'll carry on with, with what, what kind of like happened from that side on. Hi, everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, so they phoned me the Monday morning and um, Phil didn't reply to my messages the night before or the morning, which I found strange because he normally is up early. And um, so I knew um, I think something's up. And they phoned me at around 10 and they said they rushed him to the ICU. Um, it's not looking good. He's not on the ventilator yet, but most probably he will go on. But they'll phone me. Hour later, they phoned me. They said, "You have to come in now, now. Don't take long. Come in now." And I still promised him to get a COVID test. So I was busy trying to print this flipping form out. <laughs> I couldn't get it done. 
And um, they phoned me and um, they said, I must come in. Once again, phoned Javi. <laughs> like, Javi, I'm really not... Yeah, I know. So I'm pretty sure if I drive, I'm going to make an accident. So please, can you pick me up? So I just threw gym clothes on and I went. And um, they told me ventilators, not a death sentence, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the one nurse still said, two to three days and he's going to walk out of here. And I'm like, okay, let's just, let's see. So two to three days turned into two weeks on the ventilator, 30 days in ICU and 40 days in the hospital. Not, not a quick journey. <laughs> Um, and I went in, and just quickly, um, they geared me up. I went to his bed. He was already out of it, um, under sedation, and he said some strange things, <laughs> like, I love you too, babe, which he never <laughs> says. <laughs> um, and, you know, I just went into survival mode, and I've got to do this. I have to be strong, fulfill, and... Um, yeah, they allowed me, or they gave me an hour with him, and um, then they said, I have to go, and Phil said, are you, are you going now? But he was, his voice was already like, what's the word, creaking, husky, yeah, like, are you leaving now? That's what he, <laughs> and I said, yes, I have to go. He had no idea what was going to happen, and he said, okay, when you come tomorrow and visit again, bring me oral claw. Because my throat hurts. Not going to need that. <laughs> and um, then I went home, and an um, hour later they phoned me. They said they've um, intubated him, <laughs> and he's on the ventilator now, and he's okay. His sets are good, his vitals are good. And then the waiting game started. So, <laughs> Cool. So, jumping onto the ventilator. Um, I remember I'm thinking I'm in hospital, I'm a patient, and then I'm just going to kind of like put it out there as woke up, you know, I woke up in these different spots, but I mean, you're in and out the whole time, you know, and I, um, oh yeah, so actually that was, that was when I came off the ventilator, actually, that was about uh, the third week of July, if I'm not mistaken, end of July-ish, but um, before we got to that, um, and this is where it gets trippy, so you have to follow me, okay? But I, I kind of dreamt that I was, I was still a hospital patient or still a patient in hospital, but I got moved from hospital to hospital. So I was here, I was in Northern Africa, I was in England, I was in the States, and eventually I ended up in China. Um, and I know that's, I know some of you might be chuckling underneath your breath here, but um, it was absolutely surreal. When I say that the detail that I dreamt in made me think that it was reality is because even the posters on the walls of the hospital were updated with like, it said stuff like Michigan State, um, State Hospital. I was in Manhattan. I was in, in London. Um, I remember falling off my bed in London. Like, I'm, I'm sure that, I'm hopefully, like they didn't drop me in real life, but like, those are kinds of things that I, that I actually dreamt, you know. And um, to give you an idea, like I, what I, apparently under the sedation, I kept on trying to pull out my ventilator pipe. So they actually tied me down. So in my dream, in London for argument's sake, I dreamt that they put me in this old, like, dilapidated building. Um, they, lo they put me in a straitjacket, and then they loaded me into this bath, like a random bath in a room like this, um, but with no ventilation. And when I say detail, I mean absolute detail. 
um, they mixed like certain liquids and powders together to generate a gas that would ultimately suffocate me. So this is where things got a bit negative because for those two, three weeks that I was under sedation, I dreamt that every nurse and every doctor that was working in and around me wanted to kill me. So I was constantly just trying to survive every single attempt, not knowing, and I'm, I'm alone. Remember, I'm like, I'm a patient alone in England. It's not exactly like you can sort of drop a WhatsApp and say, hey, listen, pull in, come help me. Um, so this is, it, it was absolutely surreal. And I've never had anxiety or panic attacks ever in my whole life. Um, and of, you know, all of a sudden when I, was, when I was in hospital, these things started happening because they weren't sure what was happening in my mind. So, I mean, they loaded me in this bath, mixed these gases, and <laughs> this is going to make me sound like a much better person than I really am because I don't think I'm this good. But I remember saying to these people, I was like, you guys know that somewhere through this journey, you're going to meet Jesus, right? Like, this is, this is not a good move that you're pulling off, yeah? But almost like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they sat, when they were thrown in the fire, you know, they went, our God can deliver us from this. But even if he doesn't, he's still worthy to be served, you know? So, so I was lying in the bath, and I was going, well, I can't move. So I was like, my God can deliver me through this, but don't think I'm going to deny who he is by just being in this helpless state, you know? And I still, this is where I'd get to, like, good. Uh, I was so like, Jesus, don't hold this against them. Like, they don't know what they're doing. And that's what I'm saying. I'm really not that good a person. These people are trying to kill me. But there was this absolute, like, almost not peace because you, you're terrified, but there's this confidence that whatever happens, everything's going to be okay, you know? Whether I, I'm alive or whether I die, it's going to be okay. Um, and to, and to, to, like, to go one step further, they even had a guy I could, like, see from the bath. I could, it was an old building. So I could see, like, through the, the concrete pillars and slabs. I could see that, I don't know why it was an Indian guy, but there's an Indian guy in a TLB waiting for a signal for them. If, this, if the suffocation doesn't work, then he's going to take out the concrete pillars with a TLB so that the building would collapse on me and then that would be game over. Um, when I was in the States, they put me in an ambulance. And again, even, you know, the specs, like, the ambulance was bigger. Like, maybe I watched Rescue 911 too much when I was a kid. But <laughs> So, like, imagine this massive um, ambulance. They loaded me in the back, and I heard the conversation between the driver and another nurse saying, okay, let's just let's move his bed to the right or to the left or whatever it was. We'll untie his bed. We'll take out the front seat, and then we'll just we'll gun it. And we'll just kind of, like, rush through a bend, and then we'll crash, and then it'll cause him to go through the windscreen, and then, it'll, like, he'll die accidentally, you know? So everything was calculated to the point where it couldn't look like a murder. So I don't know why, you know, it was so calculated, but the one, the one that was probably the, the, the more intense was um, also in the States, they actually shaped an ice peg. Um, and the, I saw the guy, I was lying in, like, lying in the ambulance, and I saw the guy practicing on how to like stab me in the neck with an ice peg, and ultimately the ice peg would melt so there'd be no murder weapon. So this is the kind of detail that we're talking about. It's not stuff that you just, I wasn't rerunning, you know, scenes from a Marvel movie, for, for argument's sake. Um, anyways, I did my rounds and um, I got to China. China is the final phase. So, that, I mean, I can fill in the blanks tons, but I'm only going to keep you here for about an hour. <laughs> so um, I got to China and these peeps had now run out of ideas on how to kill me because every single time they try something, like I'd get into the state of almost like prayer and... Uh, Again, weird. Like the, when, when it got to the point where I thought I was going to die, it's like the word kind of appeared like a scroll. And I mean, I don't read the Bible in a scroll. I mean, I read it on iPad. So like the word kind of appeared like a scroll, and I would, like, I would read the word, and I'd worship. And I'd still remember the nurses, actually, but from a, from a, like a, a negative perspective, they'd, they'd point to me and they'd go, look, 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 like as if to say, like, yo, that's going to help you, bud. Um, and for some reason, like in the point where they wanted to start the ambulance and wanted to go to 
crash. Um, all of a sudden, like a cop car just arrived at the intersection, and I could hear them saying, okay, wait, hang on, we can't go now. I mean, the ambulance is on there, like they're ready to, ro uh, ready to go. And anyways, like this worship and this, the word came up and there's this peace, and then like the trip was, was canceled, okay? So it was like that kind of stuff, which made it more real because like God almost pitched like he would in this life. You know, it wasn't, I didn't see an angel with six wings covering his eyes and that kind of stuff. It was, it was just real as if I was in, in this reality. And, um, and they paid the nurses in cash to kill me, okay? So there's this one nurse, uh, male nurse. What is, it? is it just called a nurse? Male nurse. Okay, cool. Afrikaans team was vrouwelik in maniki and all that. Anyway, so this male nurse, um, in China, they, they came to him again and they said to him, listen, you've, he was the ambulance driver and the guy with the eyes big, by the way. Um, and what was trippy was he was, the way he looked in my dream was how he literally looked in reality. So my eyes took what I saw in reality under the sedation. So the doctors and the nurses, they were actual people. Like they didn't make them up. And, but my, well, the medicine probably just twisted the situation, you know, because in fact, in real life, they were trying to save my life. They weren't trying to kill me. Um, anyway, so fast forward to China and they get to him and they say, okay, best thing we can do, because my, my hospital room is on the 30th floor in the Shanghai Tower, okay? Never been to China. Um, so, and they say to him, the way that my room was built, you had, you had the room and then right behind me was a sliding door with a stoop and then it was like 30 stories down, okay? But there was, the building was under construction for some reason, so they had scaffolding all around the edges. And, um, and they said, okay, what you're going to do is you're going to push his bed out as if he's going to, you know, just get some sun. But then you give him extra biki. And then I'll, I'll basically go over the edge and drop 30 stories to my death again. And um, I still remember that same, that same nurse went back to them and, they, and he said, if this guy's still not dead, like I don't want any part of it. So he actually gave back the cash because he said, whoever this God is that he's praying to or whatever, it seems to somehow freaking deliver this guy every time, okay? So he was obviously not a believer in my dream, but, and he just said, look, I'm out. I don't want anything to do with this. This is getting too fishy for me now because this, this guy literally won't die. Um, and that's why they thought, okay, 30-story drop, there's no way he can survive that. No God can deliver him from that. And, um, and, and I got to a stage where um, it was almost like a, a handing over, like a giving over. Like I, I knew I couldn't move. There's no way that I'm going to survive a 30-story drop. And my prayer literally was, God, if you could give me the strength one more time. Just to even grab the scaffolding on the way down. I don't mind dropping like a floor or two and breaking a couple of bones and ribs. But just give me the strength to grab the scaffolding and somehow get back into the building. Because this is how real it was, okay? Um, and anyways, I, I kind of like, I closed my eyes and they started pushing the bed. And then it was just nothing. Um, and I, <laughs> this is probably where I hope that you guys get the most out of this thing. The best way to explain it is, 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 is some kind of near-death experience, okay, where I could, I could look at my life. I, could, I knew that I was dead. Like, I knew I was finished. Um, and, but I, could, I was still conscious, so I could still look back. I could still look back at my life, and I could still consider it, but I knew I couldn't go back. And it was this weird little inter, intermediary or intermediate place. Um, and all I could think about was my wife. All I could think about was my marriage, um, not even a place of regret, like, oh, I wish I didn't do that, or I wish I'd done more of that. It was as if for the first time ever, 
and I'm, I'm somebody who appreciates life. I live quite aggressively and fully, if I could say that. Um, like I've always tried to grab a hold of everything, you know, and make the most out of it. But I looked at my life and it's like almost I understood, I, I was separated from the, va- from the value of life. I could see the value of life, the gift of life. Like a roommate, we had smile, you saw on skin up your fell, like that kind of stuff, that, like to, to see life for what it was. And I just remember being so bummed that I'd never have that again. Like it was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't sad in the sense of, um, you know, uh, life as a whole. It was just sad not knowing, first of all, what's coming, uh, but second of all, yes, it was so good, and I'm just never going to have that again. Um, and, anyways, and also that thing I thought about was the fact that I didn't give my wife my um, crypto login details, <laughs> which is super random. They've, she's got it now, though. <laughs> Wrote them down. <laughs> Um, well, which is totally, totally random if you consider the severity of the, of the situation. Um, and anyways, I kind of, I knew that I was tapping out in the sense of, okay, there's no, there's no game over. Um, and then I woke up in a, in a, the best way to explain it is like a, just a space of nothingness. It was black, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like a black room or dark room. It was, it was infinity space, but just dark. I didn't have a body, um, but I was conscious. And I remember, I, I was like, I've been a believer for 15, 14 years. So I was like, kind of, okay, cool. I'm done with life. Now I'm going to meet Jesus. And then I wake up in this black room and I go, no, boo. Like, this can't be it. Surely, like, surely this isn't it, you know? And I'm also thinking, but why am I conscious? Like, yes, I don't have a body, but, and it's black and there's nothingness, but how am I still able to think? And um, fortunately, <laughs> Like I started seeing the outline, no sound as well. I started seeing the outlines, like a silhouette almost, um, of what was in front of me. And then eventually I could make out a nurse walking with a clipboard. And I was like, yes, I'm not dead. Jesus is real. Like, I'm still going to meet him one day, you know. Um, and, and that's when I actually started waking up here. And that was that photo that you saw was kind of like me coming off the sedation um, in that process. If, if you also don't mind bringing up that photo, I think it's before that one where I'm quite swollen. So that, that's a picture of fat Asian full. Um, so, <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty hectic, but I mean, so, so what, what, what's, what that's from is when they, when they put the pipes down, they prone you, they turn you on your stomach. So I was basically on my stomach for like two weeks, okay? So all the liquid just kind of like drains to your face, and, 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 and anyways, that was the result. But after that, I ended up here, and um, what was the most surreal experience for me was when I came out of that, that black room, and I, and I realized, okay, I'm back in hospital, Mole came walking in. Um, and I was absolutely finished. Like I, my, I hyperventilated, my heart rate went through the roof. Um, because remember, the, the very thing that I added the most value to, that I thought I'd never experience again, just came walking into the room. So I was just absolutely done. Um, like nothing ever beats that. I've had some really crazy cool moments in my life, but nothing can get close to that. Um, and I don't know if... Because I'd like to say, and that's when I got better and things got better and it's all good. But it transgressed again, but I'll, I'll, I'll give this to my lady say. Um, yeah, so I got to the hospital, walked in full, I tried to calm him down. Um, and it was still like, they couldn't say he's definitely getting better and they couldn't really say he's getting worse. But in that week, he almost stood still, according to the doctor. Apart from um, in the week they removed his central lines from his um, 
collarbone. And when they removed it, they nicked his lung. And his lung started bleeding. <laughs> and they had to do an emergency, not an op, but they literally, with no sedation, cut him open on his rib and stuck a tube you know, through his ribs into his lung. And he also had like a air pocket. I don't know what the medical term is for that. And um, that drained that as well. Um, and the doctor still told me, it's not a massive setback, but it is a setback. So that made it a little bit worse. And on top of that, he had a blood fungus and um, two multi-drug resistant organisms. So they couldn't treat it with, you know, with antibiotics. And in that week, my family's here. <laughs> some of my, whoo, <laughs> um, some of my very, our, our very close friends and their parents and, um, during that week, we just ferociously prayed. And um, we have a doctor friend, um, Jackie. She's the head of the ER. And she went in to pray for Phil by his bedside every single day if she could. And um, I specifically remember her telling me while she was praying for Phil, she saw this bright white light around him, like a, like a, light covering him, and bouncing off of this light was what looked like the fiery, I always get it wrong, the fiery darts that the, that the Bible, um, you know, speaks of, and it just bounced off of this light, and when I heard full stories, it all, you know, tied together, and it was such an amazing comfort to hear this, and um, yeah, so during that week, um, they were saying, yeah, it's okay. The sisters said something else than the doctors, but also they didn't really give you the full story, you know. So um, that was in general already. <laughs> um, and on the Saturday morning, I decided I want to take him music so that he doesn't hear the peep, peep, peep of the, you know, the hospital noises and stuff. Cause, and also two people died while he was in ICU. So it can't be good to hear all of that. And... Um, Saturday morning, I phoned and I asked, can I bring in an iPhone instead of an iPod? Because Javi's iPod didn't work. Yeah, I know. And uh, I spoke to the anesthesiologist because um, they specialize in critical care. And um, he said, uh, look, uh, we're going to put him back on the ventilator and for the third time. And you can come in um, if you want to. And I said, uh, for sure, <laughs> I'm coming in. And I just contacted everyone, his family. I was living with my parents. Um, that was a saving grace for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I went in and I ran into his doctor um, and Dr. Lips told me his suffering. So they don't want him to crash and then damage other organs. So they'd rather put him back on the ventilator. And um, I went in and I was horrified. So I'm seeing a psychologist and he asked me, what is the worst moment of all of this? And it was that Saturday. Yeah, 
Um, clearly still opposite by it. Um, I walked in and Phil just looked like he was dying. Um, that photo you saw where I was bending over him, that's what he looked like. But that photo, it, it doesn't even look like him. And there's another photo, um, you'll see it probably at, uh, later in the video, there. Does that look like a healthy person to you? <laughs> um, so, but during that time I was quite strong and, you know, God just gave me a supernatural strength to deal with this. And I believe everybody's prayers just lifted us up and gave us the strength to, I mean, God could not, could not listen, oh, he could not help but listen. I mean, I think thousands of people were praying, people we didn't even know. And um, uh, they gave me three hours with him. And in hindsight, they don't really allow you in a COVID ward. They allow you in before they put um, the person on a ventilator to essentially say goodbye because they don't know what's going to happen. And then I don't know if they call you in if they think, but that's probably what happened. And um, I remember the doctor said they thought he was going to die that day. That's why they gave me three hours with him. Um, but... I watched his sat, so when I got to him, he was on 90, they were giving him 90% oxygen, yeah, and his own sat, oxygen levels, were only on like, I think it was 86, that's very low for 90% oxygen, you know, um, and after half an hour, I looked at his sats, and it was 95, so that just showed me the value of family and loved ones being there. Um, they video called me throughout the, you know, the journey. Anyway, so I helped the nurse just care for him what I could do. He couldn't cough, cough out the stuff in his lungs. I'm not going to go into detail. It's pretty, yeah, uh, graphic. <laughs> um, he couldn't cough on his own. They had to press, press his chest. Um, Danelle is a sister or a nurse, so she'll know. Um, and the doctor showed me his x-rays and it didn't look good. Um, his lungs was completely taken over by COVID, pneumonia, whatever, it, everything that was in there. Um, yeah. Um, they said he definitely has pulmonary fibrosis. And they don't know if he makes it out, if he'll be dependent on oxygen for the rest of his life, what he will you know, keep from this, if he makes it. And I just laid my hands on him and prayed. I asked everybody to pray. I phoned his sister and brother to s try and speak to him. He couldn't speak at all. Um, but I just said he nods and, and whatever the case may be because it might be the last time. And I walked out of there and I, I just, I didn't know if my husband was going to make it. And um, I asked them, please let me know if you put him back on the ventilator. That evening, I, I didn't hear anything. So that evening I phoned in. No, he's not back on the ventilator. Like, okay, well, that's probably good news. Um, and my friend, Melissa, <laughs> and her mom, they organized a prayer meeting um, outside his window, his ICU um, room window. And we got as close as we could. And that Sunday morning, we went in, in and we prayed for him. People were there that we don't know. Um, Dean's parents were also there. My brother was there. My parents had also had COVID, so they were at home still sick. And um, we prayed for him. 
And when I went in to see him that Sunday, I asked the doctor, why is he not back on the ventilator? He's like, no, he's improving. He doesn't need it. His breathing is improving. He looks better. And I remember, oh, this is very emotional. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I remember he was leaning over full and telling him, you're not out of the woods yet, but you're getting better. You're getting better. And um, the video called full in with the, with the prayer meeting outside as well. And we had communion. And um, I threw Jackie under the bus because I'm like, you lead it. You lead it. <laughs> yeah, his wife. <laughs> um, and then that was a relief, but it was still like, he still looked terrible and it's still not amazing. But they were only giving him 40% oxygen. Yeah, from in a day's time, you know. And the Sunday, um, Sunday evening, we had another Zoom uh, prayer meeting that I know a lot of people here jo um, joined in. Um, and they just prayed over full, prayed into all of the stuff that's going on. And the Monday, I decided, okay, now I'm going to take in the phone. I phoned the ICU ward, and they said, um, I think your, husband's, your husband went to high care. I'm like, well... So they're like, yeah, let me just find out. Yeah, you went to Haike late afternoon. And Haike is much better than ICU, than critical care. So literally in a day, um, he was kind of out of the woods. And he moved to, from, from almost dying the Saturday, he went to Haike. And he was still in isolation because of the, you know, the organisms in his blood and um, that the weekend after that his brother and sister-in-law came yeah <laughs> yeah we were hanging outside his window <laughs> like little monkeys <laughs> and five days later that Saturday he went into general ward um, and yo it's it's such an amazing story of how God just, like, turns stuff around. And, you know, the gratitude I felt. Um, but I knew it was a long journey. So I don't know if you want to continue with this quickly. Um, there's just one or two things that I want to add here. And I want to ask you something before you hand over to him. Um, the one thing that I want to just say, and I want you to hear this, is that um, when they went to go pray outside the window and when the Zoom call was made for everyone to come onto the Zoom call, um, later when Phil went for his checkup afterwards, the doctor said that he heard about the Zoom call and he thought that's a good idea because this man is not going to make it. And I want you to hear that because it's an important thing to know that in a dire situation things can change suddenly. And that is such an important thing. And through this whole journey, I saw that. Remember, he was, in, he was in hospital for 40 days continuously, and at that stage it might have been 35 days, 32 days that he was in hospital. And a prayer meeting, asking God to help and intervene, changed the situation. So please keep that in mind. Then you, you didn't mention this, and I'm going to bring you back. You're now almost with him coming out. But while he was in hospital, 
Um, you also, unfortunately, got COVID, so you were confined into a space. Um, but I want you to just quickly touch on something. Phil said that it was important. The only thing he thought of was my wife. Okay? You were sitting there, and you were looking at something. I don't want to take that story away from you. And you were thinking something. Please tell that story, because it's important for people to hear what is really important in life. I have to be careful with this now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a better actor now. <laughs> so, um, when uh, Phil went to the hospital, he took off his shorts, and um, it was very cold, so I had to put on long pants, you know, to go out. And he had a pair of shoes lying downstairs, and um, this is where I have to be careful. <laughs> but it used to irritate me when Phil leaves his shoes downstairs. Like six pairs of shoes, which is unnecessary. So husbands, husbands, don't do something that your wives, that you know your wives don't like, because you're saying, ah, it's little. So anyway, but I, I, I couldn't, I, was, I told Harvey that night, um, I, I just, I couldn't get myself to pick up his shoes and his shorts. I couldn't. You know, it took me two days to change the bedding that he was lying in, you know. Um, and because um, I, I, I just didn't know, would I ever have the chance to pick it up again? Will he ever be there to leave it there? But also, like I said, <laughs> careful. <laughs> but um, it was such a small thing in that moment for me that, you know, that's the only thing that I really have of full that's still there, that was where he was lost, and will he ever be there again? Um, but I spent about two weeks alone at home, isolating, because we didn't know my parents also had COVID, so I don't want to infect them, you know? And um, it was the most lonely two weeks of my life, and um, Javi uh, came to me the night before I, I moved in with my parents for a month, <laughs> and... Um, you know, I just, I just told him I would definitely do things differently. If I had a chance, if God gives me the chance to do it, I'll do it differently and approach our marriage differently. And I just, I have a new appreciation for Phil. And it's sorry that it took almost death to, to kind of teach me that. But I'm grateful that God used this and, um, you know, taught me that. Um, because I didn't really appreciate Phil as I should, as my husband, you know, as the leader of our home. And it's not always great. I mean, the people that are married, <laughs> it's not always fantastic. But um, I just, yeah, I just have a new appreciation for our marriage and for Phil out of that. Is that what you wanted? <laughs> and just to, sorry, just to tell you, after he went... Um, to high care, the doctor phoned me on the Tuesday or the Wednesday and he told me, so you know Phil's better, he's getting better. I'm like, yeah, he's like, your prayers must have helped because um, there's nothing else we could have done for him. We literally did everything we could, nothing else we could do apart from trying to put him on the ventilator again. And also, side note, none of his other organs were damaged. It was literally only his lungs, which is a miracle. <laughs> Even on that topic, um, when I was still in hospital, they, they said that looking at the x-rays and, you know, how fibrosis had kind of like gone everywhere, that I uh, had less than 30% capacity. 
left in my lungs. So like 70% or more had, had been damaged. Um, and he was, he was kind of saying that best case scenario, should I make it out here and start, you know, taking medicine and training and whatever, I get to maybe 70%. Uh, and then even if I get to 70%, then I still have to have an absorption level of above 80 to have a semi-normal life. Um, and I went for my two-month checkup a couple of weeks ago, and we were already on 82% uh, as far as functionality is concerned. My capacity or my absorption levels are also over 80. Uh, I have to train for three times for the rest of my life every week, but that's not exactly a curse, is it? <laughs> so um, if you look at the natural, there's so many things that pointed in the wrong direction. Um, and the reason, the reason we, we, we feel... Well, let me say this. You've got to be cautious because we, we received grace to get through this. Other people didn't. So you can't go, God chose to heal me and not that guy. Because first of all, why did he heal me and not the other guy? But then why not? You know? So there's so many answers that we don't have to these things. However, what we do know is that we're super grateful and that we, we, we were humbled by this process. But we saw the hand of God through all of this. Um, because it's just too coincidental for the very next day after having the prayer meetings for, my, for it to go exactly the opposite direction. Um, and there's a comfort in me, and that's why I said, it's not, like, it's not like we never knew God, and then like all of a sudden because of this, we now, oh, he must exist. It's like we've, we've seen him. We've, you know, like the word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like we've tasted his goodness. We've seen his goodness in and through our lives for many, many years. Um, this was just such a personal journey, and, um, and it affected so many people's lives around us. Um, and I think that for me is one of the things that probably stand out the most. And to the point where a doctor comes to you the day that I was checking out, um, uh, uh, make it sound like a five-star hotel. <laughs> All that freaking 25 grand a night <laughs> pretty much is. Yeah. <laughs> Our hospital bill is like over 1.3 million rand already. Um, and one of the doctors came in and he said to me, you know, do you, do you know who I am? Uh, it was Dr. Donald. And um, I said, no, his daughter was my dietitian because basically they fed me through a pipe. And, um, and he just came in and he didn't, he didn't even say much. He just, he said, do you know who I am? And I said, no. And he like, you could see his eyes start like tearing up. And he, and he like, like this slow clap. He did the slow clap and he just stood like this and he just walked off. And I was like, well, it must mean a lot to them as well when, when one escapes, you know, or one gets out. And his daughter, as he was leaving, his daughter said, you know, you're the miracle patient, right? And I said, no, but it's nice to know. <laughs> Anyways, but um, yeah, we, we've just seen too much of God's goodness to, to deny the fact that it's, it's, it's changed our lives forever, you know. And I think when Malay speaks about the shoes and the pants that I left on the ground, is one thing I want you to take away is that the pettiness of life really quickly gets brought into perspective when you face this scenario. Um, and I would almost want to encourage friends, family, husbands, wives, etc., um, genuinely consider the value of time and the value of the gift of life. Um, and it's easy for me to say this side because I made it. <laughs> um, but here's one thing I will leave you uh, with is to say that because of what's happened, uh, yes, my lungs are better, etc., etc. but there's this kind of like looming thing uh, of blood clots and all sorts of things. Um, and not that I'm living in fear at all, okay? However, what it has done is like, it's made me ask the question, whatever got me to a point where I was so arrogant that I thought that tomorrow was a promise? We really only have today. 
Uh, I now live with that in the back of my mind, not out of a place of fear. Now, please get that. But it's an appreciation because I just don't know that tomorrow is going to be there. Um, and therefore, and I think it's, it's easy to just get, a, get on with life, you know. But maybe, maybe because we think we have so much time, we don't value it as much. Uh, whereas if you know it's limited, the kind of value increases. And I'm going to hop on about crypto. But <laughs> 10 years ago, Bitcoin was $1,000. Today, it's $60,000. One Bitcoin is still one Bitcoin. But the value of that Bitcoin has changed tremendously. So before this, hosp- you know, this whole hospital experience, my time had X amount of value. Now it has a million X amount of value. Um, and the fact that we get to be here, to have friends, to... No, can I be a Romais yet? They produce his but I'm still eating a Romais. Um, you know, those things, those are the little things in life that really make it worth it. So, sorry, I also wanted to say something. Um, you know, um, after Phil got home, he lost like 21 kgs. Um, so he couldn't walk, he had to learn how to walk again. And um, <laughs> now you're me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and we thought we were I was talking to my parents and and my sister-in-law about this uh, yesterday or my mom and my sister-in-law and we're just amazed how quickly Phil recovered how quickly he learned to walk again and we thought for sure he would it would take till the end of this year or early into next year for him to actually you know be you know, be able to play golf again, and he's playing golf again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so that just shows God's grace and, you know, the strength he gave full and how he just sped his recovery up by a lot. So <laughs> that's also a, a, something to note. <laughs> So um, I've got a few questions, but let me just say this. Um, Going home, um, when we got home, we carried Phil upstairs. With broken ribs. (laughs) Let's not go there. I dropped Phil on the bed. (laughs) Phil just looked at me like, aren't you going to help me? I can't move. I can't bend down my ribs. Anyway, um, story for another time. You'll actually see it later on. And um, I saw Phil on the bed, and I went home and I cried. And I said to my wife, I can't believe this is my friend. 60 kilograms, I carried him up. All I could feel is his bones, and you'll see it. I I don't know what's going to happen, but we have to believe God. And how long has it been? Now. It's week 11, so... And Phil played golf yesterday. But looking at this, Phil, a lot of people might look at this and go, feel bitter and angry that this happened to them. Um, how do you feel about this? I think it's important to reiterate what I said earlier on, where I'd seen the goodness of God in my life before. Um, I, only, I only became a believer when I was 22, but had a drastic conversion. Um, really fell in love with God, so much so that I, I just I wanted to spend as much time as I possibly could in the Word. So ended up attending Bible college for three years where you just immerse yourself in the Word for five hours a day, you know. 
Um, and through that experientially, look, we, there's no time for us to go through my childhood, but <laughs> that was freaking Jerry Springer all over it, you know, if you think about it that way. It's the best way to sum it up. So, um, so we've seen the hand of God through, you know, in, in, and I've got two siblings, um, the monkeys hanging out the window, um, an older sister and a younger brother. And, and I'm, really, I'm really sincere and, and honest when I say I know the goodness of God. Um, and when I was lying there, even in the dream, and these people were doing all these things, like there was just such a confidence that I didn't always understand what, how God moves and why he moves and the way that he moves, but I know he's good. Um, and to kind of like bring in a little story, we, we taught an English, uh, an English, <laughs> a night Bible college uh, about five or six years ago um, at, at offices here in Somerset West. And one of my students then was the doctor who's now the head of ER who could come in and, and pray for me when I was in the hospital. So, so see, like you see the full circle of things. And I mean, I remember she was the only doctor in my dream that didn't want to kill me. So she came to me in China um, and, and she just stood by my bed and she just played, like she played this song through, you know, through her phone, just laid her hands on me and just prayed for me. So like these, these little things that happened the whole time that you just, never did I consider asking God, why me? I was a healthy 36-year-old. I weighed 83 kilograms. I was fairly fit. I was playing golf. I was working. Um, and yes, it happened. But maybe I'm also giving myself too much credit because I don't know if my response would have been the same if it was my wife. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I can trust God for me, and I, I know His goodness for me. But if, if the roles were reversed, would I have still confidently said that? I don't know. It's like, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Um, but yeah, needless to say that there's no offense in my heart. In fact, that there's just absolute gratitude because I could very well have not made it. And here's a question I want to leave with us. Is God's goodness dependent on whether I made it or not? If I didn't make it, does it mean he's not good? And that's a tricky one because in the natural you'd go, hmm, maybe I, I have a question around that. But I believe God is good regardless of. Um, I'm just fortunate enough to be able to say that, but I hope that one day if I tap out, like my life would be celebrated in the same manner, you know, um, that, that people would still look at my life. I want them, and in fact, have a golf day on my, on my uh, you know, like celebrate my life. <laughs> um, because there's got to be a celebration of life. And the fact that I've lived by this forever. One of my friends I know is probably going to end up listening to this, but we don't, we don't have to do life. We get to. We get to live, we get to marry, we get to eat, we get to smile, we get to cry, um, and never take that for granted. Um, I can remember uh, walking to my car, and um, actually to the office from my car, and Marley phoned me, and she said, it's really not going well with film. And I was walking, and as I put the phone down, I was crying, and God said to me, if Phil doesn't make it, am I still good? That's a question that we all have to ask ourselves because the answer is yes, of course. But in that moment, it's real and we need to think about it. And I want to ask you a question, Molay. 40 days. We won't go into the spiritual significance of that. Yeah. Okay, Noah. Um, <laughs> 40 days. 
you were one of the strongest people I've ever seen. And everyone will, that saw anything would say that's how it was. And you were strong for everyone around you. In that 40 days, was that the case? Or what was going on in the inside? What was your reflection? Did it, is that how you felt? Did God show up in a supernatural way to take you through that? Because you looked very strong, but what was going on? You know that little duck on the water and he looks calm, but under the water he goes, was it like that or what was it? Um, so, I think it felt unreal. So, it really felt like a movie. Um, and I'd, I didn't think I actually realized what was happening, you know, in our life. And... Um, like I said earlier, I think God just gave me the supernatural strength to deal with it, but also the support from friends, family, um, and just the thought of knowing that I could call anybody or one of them any time of the day. Um, I remember having a conversation with Melissa. She's been my friend for 20 years, more probably, and whenever she cries, I cry, and vice versa. So we chatted over the phone. I was very out of breath. Um, so I couldn't really talk long, but I talked to her, you know, and I just started crying, and she started crying, and we were just, it was just a soppy mess, and um, I just told her, I'm, I'm okay, um, you know, I, I did cry, but for most of the time, it was survival mode, so inside of me, I, you know, I didn't, wasn't crashing, I don't know how to, how to say it, but if I could say this, so... Um, when Phil went into the hospital, I prayed and I asked God to please, you know, heal him and, you know, that whole thing. But I didn't really feel power behind it. And then when things started to look worse for Phil, I didn't bargain with God, but I begged him. I begged him to just heal him. And just the thought of losing Phil, you know, I, I couldn't deal with that. And um, uh, the day I went, before I went to my parents' house and to stay with them, I had a breakdown and a panic attack. And, um, you know, it was just like, it was too much for me. That was the only day I really broke down completely and it was just too much for me. And, um, but I think it was a loneliness as well um, and being sick. Um, I know my sister-in-law wanted to move in with me, and I'm like, no, stay away. <laughs> you have a two-year-old child. Um, and my mom as well, but I didn't want to move in because she was looking after my dad, so I don't want to put the pressure on her, you know. And um, I just phoned um, my other sister-in-law because <laughs> something just saw me phone her, and she calmed me down. And um, after I moved in with my parents... Um, I started to pray, and I, I could feel power behind the prayer. Um, really, like, um, I could feel—I could feel it. There's no other way to explain it. And um, I think after you know that Saturday, if I if I if I remember correctly, I sat um, at my parents' house, and I just I told God, "Listen, God, um, if it's your will, please heal full." please bring him back to us. Um, but if it's his time to go and um, you're calling him home, it's going to be so, so difficult. But I'll, 
accept it. Because I know you'll help me. If you take him, you have to help me. There's no other way. Um, and I think when, when, I, when I got to that realization or when I, when I told that or said that to God, um, it was just a load off of my shoulders. I completely, like, it was just a calm. I was so calm. And um, this is one thing. People told me to stay calm the whole time. But I was actually very calm through this whole thing. <laughs> I'm like, don't tell me to stay calm. I am calm. <laughs> um, and I, I told my mom as well, something in me, be it, you know, my own wishful thinking, um, but something in me told me that Phil was going to make it, even though I knew what the reality was. I was very aware of what was going on in him, um, and medical people would know. <laughs> um, but if his own wife doesn't even believe that he's going to make it, how am I going to, how, how will other people believe it, you know? Um, and people really thought he wasn't going to make it. But I had to stay strong. So mixed emotions. Um, but what I can say, uh, it's catching up to me now. <laughs> so, well, yeah. I think what we also see from this is that the importance of having Christian friends around you. Yeah. Um, the one thing that stood out for me I think we can say thousands because it was of people sending through messages, videos, voice notes. Um, uh, on the Zoom, I can't remember how many people were there, just there praying in the moment. It was incredible to have friends. So, so make sure that you surround yourself with Christian friends. And then, guys, just the last question. How has this impacted your lives and is there anything that you changed since then? Is there priorities that changed? How did this impact your life? And then we'll end off. Okay, so I'll start. Um, I think for me, um, you know, Phil and I had this conversation. It's just to live more intentionally, be more intentional with our friendships, with our families, um, with the people we surround ourselves with. Because like Phil said, you, tomorrow's not a given. So... Um, for me, it's just to appreciate the people around us because it might have happened with somebody else. My dad also went to hospital. I might have lost my dad, but I didn't. And thank you, Lord, we didn't lose anybody. But, I mean, anybody could go, and not necessarily from COVID, something else. And I think we have to appreciate each other just so much more. And... Um, yeah, live intentionally, and there's no such thing as I don't have time for a person. We always have time for a person now. If that person needs you, we are there. And um, that's something I want to drill in. <laughs> that's um, definitely something I learned out of this. And then um, I also have to say that my relationship with God just went up to the next level. So... I'm so grateful for that. <laughs> um, yeah, I just experienced him on a whole nother level. And um, he is my rock. <laughs> and if, I, if we didn't have him through this time, I wouldn't have made it. Yeah. 
I've kind of touched on it already, but if you could somehow, and this is, it feels silly to ask this because I'm not trying to falsely motivate anybody, but if you at some stage today or tonight or tomorrow morning or right after the, or right now, just put some time away to consider time. Uh, I know that sounds silly. I'm not trying to be deep here. I'm just trying to be real. If you consider the time and, and you know that it's like, not in a, in a negative way, but that's, it's a clock that's ticking. Um, I'm not saying go and jump out of a plane and climb Everest. If you want to do that, smash it, you know. Um, but how does that, the time that's allocated to you, how do you use it? And I'm speaking to myself here. Um, because if you consider it as a limited entity or as a limited unit, you'll actually calculate how and what you spend that on. Um, and for me, I'm talking about relationships. Take that time and directly translate it into the amount of time that you have to get to be with other people. If I'm speaking to a husband, I'm saying, absolutely lavish and love your wife. Because you don't know if you've got time to do that again tomorrow. If you're a wife, value the time that you get to spend with your husband. If your parents, which we hope to be soon, freaking just cover your kids with love. Show them that your time is the most valuable thing to you and that you're willing to spend it with them. Um, I've always been a high-energy individual. My mother-in-law will definitely put up her hand on this, um, <laughs> constantly telling me to slow down. <laughs> so, but even, and what I appreciate about, about the fact that she, she says that is because, yes, I'm busy and I'm, I've got a business and I've traveled a lot and blah, blah, blah. But after this... Yes, I still have a business. Yes, well, I don't travel as much. Um, but I, I, I just think about life differently on this side. Like, do I really want to work that hard? I mean, if you're an employee, please work that hard. <laughs> but um, it, I, I, I honestly, I'll, I'll go as far as saying, because I mean, obviously being out of, out of your business for three months as well has an effect. Like, it's just simple as that. Um, but like, there's a part of me now that, that has this peace that the same God who delivered me from everything that I went through in the hospital, delivered me from every hole that COVID had dug in our lives, whether it be emotionally, financially, whatever. He's covered all of that outside of my doing. So even spending all my time toiling away every day and kind of like running by myself and not running with God, it made me tired. Um, and now I just, I don't work as hard. <laughs> Simple as that really. I'd rather spend, I said to my wife the other day, I mean, I love golf, don't get me wrong, but I didn't think about golf when I was dying. I just thought about her. So all I really genuinely want to do is just be with her. Um, and now that sounds like a great idea for a movie, but I mean, um, that's genuinely how I feel. It's not necessarily practical, but um, every, every decision that I make now is like, how can I get the most of her with where we're going? As opposed to, I used to travel to Joburg every week. Tuesday morning, I'm up there. Thursday afternoon, I'm back. And it's like, even those two nights for me now, I go, it's two nights less that I get to spend with her. Um, so, yeah, I think that's for me. It's is just the word time. If you can consider the value of time and appreciate the gift of life, yes, I think we'll be doing something right, eh? I'll reflect on all of that now. Is, I know that you guys asked me just to thank a few guys before we end off, and then I'm going to ask you guys, I think we've got a video we're going to play, but just, is there anyone you want to thank, and then, and then we'll end off. 
So out of the people here, <laughs> um, yo, my parents. I'll take that. <laughs> um, just always there. Um, my brother and his wife, Carmen, I mean, Carmen sparked. She put up the WhatsApp group when I had to go into the hospital. My brother had his whole flipping school praying, I think. <laughs> and um, these guys sitting there, Melissa, Dean, and now, um, yo, you guys played such a big role in this. And Tani Meriki and Umshal. And then everybody else that's not here and, um, you know, all our friends, family, people that I didn't even know and Phil couldn't even remember <laughs> sent us messages and stuff. And then particularly the staff um, from Fachlegen Mediclinic. Um, wow. They were our family or more over Phil's family during that time. And um, Phil said some mornings they just sang praise and worship in their own voices. And um, most of them, or I, I don't know if you know them, but I've heard most of them are believers. And um, they also prayed, you know, for, they pray for each and every patient. And um, I've been chatting to Driki, um, one of the sisters, um, and she, yeah, she just, she says the appreciation of, you know, um, seeing a patient make it and having a good report is such a, it lifts them up. It lifts their spirits up. And I mean, they look after a patient for how many days and, you know, I, I, I wouldn't know, but if that patient dies, it has to take a, Donnell, it has to take a strain on, you know. Um, so the staff was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and thank you for sneaking me in. <laughs> See, Phil. Um, yeah, and the one sister just said, uh, Analda, sister Analda said, um, um, she says, thank you for the video calls and stuff because they could see Phil through my eyes and how I look at him. And that just um, encouraged them to fight harder for him and for his life. So... Um, I will be sending this link to them. <laughs> they, so, um, also, in the Joy magazine, um, Dr. Jackie has written an article. Yeah, article and Phil as well. So, and it's absolutely beautiful what Dr. Jackie has written. So, thank you to all, this, all the staff. If my heart could tell a story If my life would sing a song If I have a testimony If I have anything at all I want everyone just to close their eyes and just re reflect on what we've heard here today. As Phyllis said, we need to live our lives intentionally. But the question is that I know that speaking to him, he did not expect that the next day he'll be in hospital and ICU fighting for his life. And 
I want to ask you that if you would die tomorrow, where would you go? And that is the question that we all have to answer one day. And if you can't say with a shadow of doubt, 100%, that I'll open my eyes in heaven, I want you to consider just praying the next prayer with me. Let's all just close our eyes. Father, I acknowledge that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that I am a sinner. And I don't know that if tomorrow I should um, die, if I would go to heaven or not. And today I want to accept you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you that your words say that when I ask and I proclaim that with my mouth, that I will be a child of God. And we ask of that today in the name of Jesus. And Father, we just want to today just pray for Phil and Marlene. And we want to thank you, Father, for the work that you've done in their lives. Thank you, Father, that we know that this is a work that will continue. And that you're not finished, Father God. And Father, we pray that over them in Jesus. And that their testimony will touch many hearts, Father God. But Father, I pray that we will live our lives intentionally. That we will love our families. That we will love our friends. And that we will reach out to the people around us, Father God. That we will not wait to, for tomorrow. And that we will accept that tomorrow is not a promise, Father God. And we will live today as if it's our last, Father. And that we will give you all the glory and all the honor every day of our life, Father. You are a good, good Father. Father, we love you with everything that is in us. Thank you for this gift that we get to live, Father God, and call you our Father. Pray for the rest of the week, Father, as before we gather next week again. We ask, Father, that you will go with us, that you will grant us favor and mercy and grace, Father God. And that we will proclaim your name wherever we go. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church Podcast Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.